Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Christ Pacific Church. For those of you who don't know me, my name's uh, Dean Bobar. I'm the adult life minister here. It is uh, good to be with you all in worship. Every year, new words are added to the dictionary. Have you noticed that? It's, you know, sometimes in the news, we end up having new experiences and we have to come up with new words to represent them. In the height of the pandemic, um, there was a new term that was created. You might have heard it or experienced yourself, Zoom fatigue. Zoom fatigue. Do, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. Zoom fatigue can be defined as the feeling of exhaustion you experience following a video conference call. It can lead to sadness, depression for some, low energy. Like, it was just over the course of like weeks and months, it got very draining for people. Anyone have that kind of experience when, when we couldn't be with a lot of people? I, I personally experienced that a lot here because I went from being able to interact with, you know, like 50, 75 people that I know pretty well on a weekly basis and connect with them. And I'm a very kind of touchy-feely, huggy guy that, you know, gets warmth and connection through that, through people that I know really well. And it just got cut off. And I just remember feeling like, this is horrible. Like, this is really bad. And then you see someone that you know and you care about and you're like, they're 2D and the connection's horrible. I can barely hear them. And so I think one of the reasons why we experience Zoom fatigue it's because we knew that the fullness of life was actually connecting with people. Yeah, it's okay to, to connect over the phone or on Zoom or some other video conference call or, or text, but we, we need to connect in person. How many of you have ever experienced spiritual fatigue? Spiritual fatigue. Why do we experience spiritual fatigue? One reason is I think we don't experience the fullness of life that we know we're supposed to have in Christ. We don't experience that sense of intimacy, connection with him in relationship. We don't experience the transformation that we know should be taking place in our lives over the course of months and years. And maybe we don't have the sense of purpose and mission, like we hear of all these great opportunities, but where do I fit into that? So maybe you are, have experienced or are in the middle of that kind of spiritual fatigue. There's a certain life that God has for us as Jesus follows. We get to experience Christ in me. And to know the fullness of our life in Christ, we need to look to Christ above me. So before we speak of Christ in me, we must see and know Christ above me. What does that mean? Well, it means that the one who dwells within me is also the one who dwells above me. So the life I get in Christ comes from heaven. In Christ, we get to get a very taste of the very life of God from heaven. That's what it means to be in Christ and for Christ to be in me. And to know Christ above me, we must know Christ as the one who has died for us, who is risen and is exalted to heaven above me and for me. So God's Son came from heaven to earth. He came and took on a human nature in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He came to demonstrate God's kingdom and God's love and reveal God to his people and ultimately to the world. 
Then he died on the cross, a redemptive death for us, was raised to new life for us, and is exalted at God's right hand for us. This is why he is Christ above me. I think one of the reasons or part of the spiritual fatigue we experience is we know we're not getting the transformation in Christ that we know is part of this life. And if we look at this week's passage, we get confronted with the kind of life we're called to live. We're going to be in Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. You can uh, follow along. I'll have the scripture up here in a little bit. Um, but I just want you to hear it at first and hear the calling that we have. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a com- and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I don't know about you, but I hear passages like that, and I go, at times, how can I live up to this? Like, really? This is what I'm called to do? I take a look at my life, my relationships as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a minister, and I go, I'm not there, not even close. And and I want to see more transformation. Anyone else relate to that? Anyone else? Maybe a few people? The good news is that Christ meets us in that spiritual fatigue when we come to truly see him with the gaze of our heart. We can find rest for our spiritual fatigue when we know the Christ in me as the Christ above me. And it's in that rest that God's transforming work happens. Truly knowing Christ in me enables me to be clothed with compassion, and that's what we're talking about and exploring this morning. Just to let you know, this is a little bit deeper of a message. We're not going to cover tons of stuff, but it's a little bit deeper. It takes a little bit more mystery to encounter and try to mull over. This is one of the four postures that we're talking about in this series, Christ in Me. I'm doing this week, Pastor Peter's doing the rest. He talked last week about being rooted and built up in Christ, how we're rooted together in Christ and we're built up in Him. We find that life together and we're established in the faith. This week, we're, talk, we're talking about knowing Christ so that we can be clothed with compassion and on other virtues that are like Christ as we live our lives with one another. Next week, Peter's going to be talking about devoted to prayer, how our whole lives are to be devoted to prayer. And then the following week, he's going to be talking about how we're to be seasoned with salt as we engage with the world who doesn't yet know him. What we're going to hear this morning is how we can be clothed with compassion in response to the good news of Jesus who has died, risen, and exalted for me, for you, for us. And it's in hearing this good news that we get to see Jesus as he really is. It's in hearing that our seeing gets changed. So let's get started with digging deeper into this good news about Christ and about who we are in Christ, and then we'll take a look at our response to this good news. Make sense where we're going? We're hearing the good news about Christ, about what it means for us, and then we'll talk about our response to that. I want you to notice with me the first few verses there. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on then. Another translation for that key word there is therefore. And whenever I see the word therefore, it's equivalence, like then, I ask what the word therefore is. Therefore. So that's just a little, little thing to might help you remember. If you see the word therefore in Scripture or something like it, ask what's that therefore? Because it'll help you kind of track uh, how God is speaking to us in that passage. So let's go back to Colossians 3, 1 through 5, and we'll see what the word therefore is therefore. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 5. And I'm sorry, this ended up being a lot smaller than I thought, but you can at least focus in on 
the, the key words that are highlighted, and I'll highlight those in a minute. Colossians 3, 1 through 5. If then, and we could go back even further if we wanted to, but we don't have time for that. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's Christ above me. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So this passage in Scripture speaks about God and Christ and the Spirit being above us. It's not like if you go to outer space, you're going to encounter heaven. It's a metaphorical way of saying that God and heaven and God's kingdom are exalted above us. And so we have to look above us to see where Christ is. So what do we hear about Christ? We hear two things, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and Christ will return in glory. So we have Christ above us. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, reigning with God as God's Spirit is at work in the world. And we also see that Christ will return and will have the fullness of life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. Then the fullness of salvation will come. Then the fullness of life with Him when we are saved from our sin and death completely. And those who have not received the Lord will be excluded from His presence. So we have Christ above me and Christ will return. That's what we learn about us. Let's take another swipe at this passage. Well, swipe means we're going past it, so never mind. Take another flyover of this passage looking at who we are. Notice Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ. And he says, for you have died with Christ. And then he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So what is true of Christ is also true of us. We're dead to sin and we're alive with Christ. We're dead to sin. You have died. You've died with Christ. Spiritually, we have died to sin. It has no real power over us unless we allow it to. God says, here's the power to resist. Take it. Receive it. We're also alive with Christ. We're alive with Christ now, and we'll have the fullness of that life when He appears again. So Christ above me means we have that life in us now, and we'll have the fullness of the life when he comes back, and we wait and hope for that. So what I want you to see is that verses 5 and 12 are our responses to this good news of who Christ is and who we are in Christ. Verse 5, Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death what is earthly there in you. You can see there in verse 5, put to death what is earthly in you. What does that mean? Does it mean we're supposed to just escape from the world? No, it's, it's meant to say that, that what is earthly is that which is set against God. It's a very stark way of talking about God reigning from heaven and our earthly life being against God. So take off the earthly clothing because we're alive with Christ. We're alive with Him, the one who reigns from heaven. In other words, you are a heavenly citizen, so wear heavenly clothing. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. So verse 5 is part of our response, but verse 12 is the positive counterpart. Put on then as God's chosen people, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. We live out the new reality of who we are in Christ every day. Put on this new clothing. Put to death, get rid of the old clothing, put on the new clothing. That's what it means to be clothed with compassion. We're putting off the old because we're 
We've died to sin, but now we're alive with Christ, so we're putting on new clothing because we're new people. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, the clothes make the man or the clothes make the woman? Well, in uh, July 1st will be my 23rd year here. I started my 23rd year. Or no, I will have been here 23 years. Yeah, I will have been here 23 years. And oh, thanks. Uh, the first five years, I started off with youth ministry. And Tanner can tell, that, can tell you this. When you're in youth ministry, you get to show up in shorts. And I'm not knocking this. I'm just being descriptive. Or you get to show up in shorts, uh, flip-flops if you want, and T-shirts. And I love that about being in youth ministry. It was just, it was just a really comfortable to hang out with kids. It was fun. I love that part. And I learned a lot about ministry in doing that. But after that five years, I transitioned to full-time ministry here working with adults. And I remember Pastor Gary, our former senior pastor, kind of taking me aside a few weeks and saying, Dean, I just want to make sure you know something. And he was looking at me wearing flip-flops, shorts, and a t-shirt. I hope you realize your garb, your, your work attire is going to need to change a little bit. You're going to have to start wearing some nicer shoes, maybe jeans at least, some slacks, especially on Sunday mornings. And... Um, and, you know, maybe a polo shirt or something nice like that. And so there was this new reality that I needed to lean into, a new set of clothing. And so the clothes don't really make the man um, in any kind of true sense of the word. In fact, in our day and age, that's not really true. That used to be true, you know, I think a couple generations ago, where one's clothing matched one's identity. But I don't think that's quite true. But in the ancient world, there was a very close link between one's clothing and one's identity. You couldn't be a pauper and dress like a king. Number one, you had, there's no way you had the resources to do that. It was way too expensive. You were just trying to get by with your daily meal. And the flip side of that is if you were a king and you dressed like a pauper, you shamed yourself. And so in the ancient world, your clothing matched your sense of identity, a sense of who you were. And so we are new people, so we need new clothing. That's what Paul is saying here. You are new people in Christ. You've died and you've risen. Put on these new clothing. Now the question is, who are we as these new people? Well, we hear about it in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And Peter read a hit on these words in the prayer of confession. Thank you for teeing me up for this. Um, chosen, holy, and beloved. Chosen, holy, and beloved. Some have noticed that this is kind of the gospel in three words, summarized in three words. And all these things are true about Christ, and they're true about us. We are chosen in Christ. Christ is the chosen one. He was chosen to be our Redeemer. We've been telling that story this, this morning. And we, likewise, we, like Christ, we are chosen in Him to be in a relationship with God and to serve Him. We're chosen ones in Christ. We're not only chosen, we're also holy. But God's holiness is different than ours. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the, the Trinity, they're all set apart from creation. There's nothing and no one like our God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Nothing. He, they are majestic and glorious. But the good news is we get to participate in that holiness. We become holy in Christ. Like Christ, we are holy. Now, what does it mean to be holy? To be holy means to be set apart. If you look up on the stage here, you're going to see some things that are set apart. For example, there's probably a bunch of equipment that's up here that stays up here throughout the week, right? Probably most of it, because it's been set apart for use on this stage. I can't take this equipment and go home and have a concert. It's meant to stay here so that 
uh, Wednesday, morning, Wednesday evenings, Awana can use it. If the doc wants to come here on Thursday, they can use it. CR can use this equipment. And of course, on Sunday morning, we use it. Another example is our family just recently got a family phone. The kids know it is set apart for a very particular purpose. They have to ask when to use it. They can't just go use it when, whenever. And so if kids are out of practice, we say, okay, here, take the phone. If it runs long, call and let us know so we don't wait there for half an hour as your play practice is going on. You can call us, let us know. Or if it finishes early, so you're not waiting there for half an hour. And so we too, we're holy. We're set apart by God, for God, to know Him, to love Him, to serve Him. And finally, we hear that we are beloved in Christ. Christ is the beloved one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are in this loving union with one another, giving and receiving love. And do you remember what was said over Jesus at His baptism, or to Jesus? He said, you are my what? Beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In Christ, we too become beloved children of the King. We get to participate in the very love of God that God shares with one another. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So just take, like, take a little bit to, to let all of those words sink in. You are chosen. You are holy. You are beloved. That's who you are in Christ. Just take, take a, a little bit to let that soak in. That's who you are. Now, in light of who we are in Christ as chosen, holy, and beloved, now we can begin to talk about clothing ourselves with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. But if we go to putting on that clothing without first knowing who we are, we're not going to know how to dress. But now that we know who we are, it's time to put on some new clothing. So let's take another look at this passage. Those are those key virtues that we're called to put on. So Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive one another. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So let's focus in very much so on this new clothing we have in Christ. And as we do this, let's, let's not forget that we are to take off certain things. We're supposed to get rid of certain things as we're putting on these new things. So we're, we're going to talk about that, and I'm going to give you a couple practice situations that we can maybe explore what it might look like to put these things on. I, I want us to see the beauty of this new clothing because it points to the beauty of Christ, of who he is, and the beauty of Christ living out his life in and through me. The first one is compassionate hearts. Uh, another translation might be merciful hearts or the mercies of your organs, <laughs> the mercies of your bosom. It's, it's a kind of mercy or compassion that comes deep within you, and it actively meets people's needs. It's active mercy for suffering and need. It's not just, oh, I feel sorry for you. Bye. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not that. No, it's, it's an active kind of mercy that leads to doing something about it. To put on compassionate hearts, we must take off self-centeredness. We must take off self-centeredness. Taking our eyes off of ourselves and on other people is what enables us to truly see other people in their need. The more we do that, the more we can really see people in their need. Next, we have kindness. This is more of a disposition. It's a disposition of benevolence towards people. It's this disposition of, I'm going to do good towards other people. 
To put on kindness, we must take off malice toward others. Malice toward others. Just this sense of like, uh, I don't like that guy, or, or I'm against this person. That just this deep-seated sense of I'm going to be against people for whatever reason. They've hurt me. I can't trust them. They're not going to get anything from me. Therefore, no good is going to come towards them. Just that, just that sense of malice. Kindness and malice cannot dwell together in someone's heart. So here's a practice situation. Next time you meet someone in need, whether it's the homeless person begging at the grocery store or someone who's asking for 10 bucks for, uh, for gasoline or someone who, oh, that, that second one, that's, that's a really, really, uh, right now, a really testy one, right? $10 for gasoline? Like, that $10 can get me like a tank and a half. Um, that was a joke. Um, you can't get a tank and a half, maybe a tank and a quarter. Um, or the next time you meet someone in need in the sense of someone who's really close to you. You know, maybe it's a family member or a friend and you're walking with that person. Next time you meet someone in need, stop and consider what's it like to be in their shoes? What's it like for me to have a compassionate heart and kindness towards this person? What might that person need? Like really need doesn't mean I'm going to be the answer to all those needs, but I'm going to stop and consider what might this person really need, maybe even have a conversation with them about it. And then I'm going to take a look at my resources, my blessings, and say, God, what do you want me to do about it? Or how do you want me to help this person get their needs met? I might not be able to be the person, but can I walk alongside them and help them get their needs met? Can I encourage them along the way? So that's compassion of hearts, kindness, and then humility. Humility is an attitude of thinking about oneself less. Thinking about oneself less. Not thinking less of oneself, but spending less time thinking about oneself. Does that make sense? To put on humility, we must take off self-adoration. We must take off self-adoration. And our culture loves self-adoration. I'm not saying every selfie, I'm not saying every selfie is a self-adoration, but that's kind of the source of a lot of it, is our culture really wants to like, focus on ourselves. What's needed is a correct estimation of oneself, seeing ourselves as God's beloved, avoiding the extremes of self-hate and self-love. No, I am a sinner saved by God's grace. I'm a saint, but it's only because of God's grace. It's nothing within me. One of the best passages to see what humility is all about is Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. And we're getting near... Uh, Pastor Peter's favorite passage in the Bible, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Uh, sorry, Peter, we don't have time to do all of it. <laughs> Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Notice Paul says count them. It's not that they are. Count them as so. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about Christ's obedience to God the Father, even to the point of death on a cross. It's that kind of mind of, of I'm going to look not only to my own interest, but also to the interest of others. And then fourthly, we have meekness or gentleness towards others. To put on meekness, we must take off aggressiveness toward others. We must take off aggressiveness toward others. This doesn't mean become doormats. It means that we can be assertive of our rights and needs without being aggressive. You see the difference there? I can be assertive 
about who I am and what I need without being aggressive towards someone. I can still have that kindness towards people. Here's another practice situation for humility and meekness. Next time you're in conflict with someone, maybe it's with your spouse, maybe with a good friend or at work or just someone you bump into in the grocery store, your carts bump into one another and leads to a random fight in a grocery store with someone, wherever you're at, stop and consider, how can I put on the mind of Christ in this situation? How can I think of myself less in order to be gentle towards the other person? And a huge part of this is being generous in our listening and being an active listener. I'm really going to take the time to listen to you and really understand where you're coming from. And I'm going to maybe even repeat it back to you. And I'm going to say, I hear that. And at the same time, I want you to hear where I'm coming from. And so that might be one way that you can approach conflict as one who is both humble and meek in Christ. Finally, we have patience. Patience here is endurance through difficult circumstance. It's not patience in the sense of, I'm in the McDonald's line and I had to wait for five minutes for my Happy Meal. That's, that's not the kind of patience Paul had in mind. We sometimes think we read this, oh, it's patience, yeah. It's like, I, I'm going to be you know, patient as I'm waiting for my Starbucks and it takes 10 minutes. No, no, that's, that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is talking about, I'm getting up in the morning and I have to put one foot in front of the other and I feel like giving up today. Or it's just too hard to do what God's calling me to do. Or it's too hard to make it through this day without breaking down. That's the kind of endurance that Paul is talking about here, the kind of patience. To put on patience, we must put off despair. To put, off, to put on patience, we, mu- we must put off despair. The reason why is because hope in Christ is what's going to help us to endure for Christ. Hope in Christ is what's going to en- enable us to endure a good passage for that, if you're taking notes, is Romans 5, 3 through 5. For the sake of time, I won't go there. But Romans 5, 3 through 5, if you want to go there. He talks about enduring because hope doesn't disappoint us. So this is the new clothing. Because you are one who has gone from slavery to Christ to royalty with Christ. See yourself in Christ. See Christ above as the one who is also in you, empowering you, leading to live out his life in and through you and put on this new clothing. The question then becomes, what do we do if we don't live up to this calling? How do we avoid more spiritual fatigue? When we, uh, when we come up to our lack of meeting what God is calling us to do, we stop, we confess our sins, maybe to someone else as well as to God. We repent, we turn around, and we start again. I'm, I'm still forgiven by you, God. Help me to, to, to try again. And then if we're the other person experiencing other people not living up to their calling, well, Paul says, bear with one another. (laughs) Forgive them. I love how Paul doesn't say, go be best friends with everyone in the church. He's very realistic. He's like, yeah, you guys aren't going to live up to this calling. This is an ideal. And along the way, when people are not compassion, don't have compassionate hearts, they're not kind, they're not humble, they're not meek, they're not being patient towards you. Bear with them, forgive them, and they hopefully will do the same for you. Paul's very realistic here, but he's also very hopeful because what we're doing is we are putting on Christ's clothing. You might have caught this. We're putting on Christ's clothing. Paul says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We are forgiven as people who have been, excuse me, we forgive as people who have been forgiven. Paul says, above all these, put on love. 
What, he is, what has He already said about us? We are chosen, holy, and beloved. So we are to love as those who are already loved by God. And so when I put on the new clothing, clothing I'm just, you know, I'm dressing like, like Christ. It's kind of like the little kid who's, you know, dressing like Michael Jordan because he really, like, loved Michael Jordan. I'm not that much into sports now, so I don't know who to pick. But in my day, Michael Jordan was, was the man, and so that's who I'm going with. It would be like a kid, you know, getting completely dressed up because he wants to be like his idol, Michael Jordan. We see Christ and we say, we want to be like him. We want to be like him. And, I, and it's out of the overflow of my experience of forgiveness and love that I'm going to go and be who I am in Christ. And so I ask you, are you spiritually fatigued? Or do you see it on the horizon, maybe? If you are, look to Christ who is not only above you, but also in you. See him in the gaze of your heart. See yourself in him as he is in you. And out of that, let him change your life. Let's pray. Living Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're not only in us, but you're above us. And because you're above us, you can do so much because of who you are and what you've accomplished and what you will accomplish. Lord, help us to live into the story of new life in you. Help us to put on these new clothing and receive your grace. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons or to subscribe or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cpchb.org.